the humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and Social Sciences, the hashtag hashtag podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Keith Heggett, who is going to be talking about citizenship education and how to make people more active. So I'm joined in this episode by uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Keith Heggett. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Mark. It's thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you. Look, um, I call you doctor because recently you were awarded your PhD, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Ten years and, of hard um, work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and look, well, well, uh, well earned and all the hard work's now paid off. Um, so we're going to have a chat about um, your, your, I guess, your passion, which is civics education. Um, however, um, before we get started, can you give the listeners a bit of a, a, bit of a, um, a debrief about who you are? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, uh, first time on the podcast, long-time listener. <laughs> um, my name is Keith Haggard, as you said, um, and currently I'm a lecturer at the University of Technology, Sydney, uh, and I have had a few careers. Um, most recently, I was an organiser for the Independent Education Union of New South Wales, ACT, um, and I worked out of the, the Parramatta office there, and I did a lot of work around uh, what we called online to offline organising. Um, and then before that, I was a high school teacher and a, a school leader uh, in Western Sydney in the Catholic sector. Uh, and before that, in the UK, um, where I worked in, in a school called Chapter 100 Campus uh, in Essex um, for about five years. And then before that, I was in the, the public system in, in eastern suburbs. I think I started my teaching at um, Randwick Boys High School uh, far too long ago to mention. Um, yeah, so you could say I've, I've been around. A few different uh, sectors, yeah. Yeah, and look, and you, you've mentioned now you're starting up at uh, UTS, so uh, recent transition into that. So before we get started, uh, why the um, uh, why the transition? Why, why why from high school to union to university? Well, it's actually really interesting because there there is a, a common thread, um, and and I guess it, it even goes back before I became a teacher. I, I used to work for. Um, a, a PCYC in Redfern uh, where we ran something called a learning centre for students who either weren't going into school or to help them with their homework. And I, I got really um, interested in, in, you know, the, the people at the fringes of education and how they were benefiting from education. And then throughout my schooling career, I was always that teacher who did the, you know, the student leadership council or the student representative council. And I, I just got really depressed about how tokenistic so many of these kind of student decision-making bodies were. Um, and I'd hear about stories about, uh, you know, really, really quite radical schools who were doing things very, very differently and I'd you know, want to be doing things like that. And that led to my interest in, in um, you know, active citizenship, um, which led to my involvement with the union because if you're going to talk about it, you've kind of got to do it, don't you? Um, and that led to the PhD um, which I which I finished and and which was all about civics and citizenship education and and I call myself more of a citizenship educator than a civics educator and and we can talk about why that's the case in a little bit um, and then uh, there, there came the opportunity for for me to go and and do a little bit more research and to set up a course in learning design um, at UTS and I, I jumped at it and thought you know I'm going to give it a shot uh, and that's where I've ended up at the start of 2020. Yeah, look, thanks, thanks for thanks for that. Now, you, you mentioned civics and citizenship education, I guess, as as, as your PhD, um, and as, as I mentioned at the start, that's sort of your um, that, that's your 
um, your passion, I guess you'd call it. Mm. Um, I, I'd like that to make the um, the focus of the show today. Um, so looking at, uh, well, firstly, what is uh, civics and citizenship education? Because a lot of people might not be aware with that uh, of that form of um, of of language, I guess. People, you know, they, they might teach um, history, they might teach geography or HSIE or HASS or SOS, but they've may have never heard of civics exactly. education, which which I believe, is, as far as I know, I mean, I'm not old enough to remember this. As far as I know, uh, used to be the name of the Hizzy course, I believe, years ago, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm an old I vaguely remember doing my school certificate and the words yes. civics and geography being on it, not geography. Yeah. As a, as a, as a, as a very young teacher, um, I had a year 10 um, history class, a year 10 geography class, um, and when they came to sit the school certificate, um, I, I remember they, they were all really, really concerned because... <laughs> The, the, on the, the cover of the school certificate, it said Australian history, Australian geography, civics and citizenship exam. And they'd all put up their hands and say, Mr. Heggett, but you haven't taught us civics and citizenship. You know, how can we do this exam? And of course, I had. It was integrated within the history and the geography syllabus, uh, as was the, the normal practice. Um, but the, the nomenclature talking about civics and citizenship was almost absent. And And I guess... You know, if I can just uh, segue into to why it kind of got me interested, um, it was experiences like that. But also, you know, when you look at the Melbourne Declaration, and, and the Melbourne Declaration has been around for 10 years, and now um, I think we've, we've got the new version, which I think they're going to call the Alice Springs Declaration or something like that, um, which, is, which is, is really interesting, the changes. But that's, that's maybe a conversation for another time. But the Melbourne Declaration, which, which drew on the, the Hobart and the Adelaide Declaration, it, it only had a couple of goals for schooling, and one of those goals, um, one part of it was the development of an active and informed citizens. And you think, well, it's central to what we're meant to be doing in schools in Australia, in New South Wales, in every other state and territory, um, but it's almost absent from the conversation. And, of course, you talk to people and say, oh, no, no, we do active citizenship. We have Harmony Day. Or, or we have, you know, multicultural days, or you know, we have Anzac Day, um, you know, <laughs> and 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 that's all good and well. Um, but I, I got frustrated, um, you know, and I felt that was always a little bit tokenistic, um, because because I guess what I'm saying is is there's a difference between civics and citizenship. Now we can argue about whether civics is taught well or not. I, I'm not entirely convinced that it is. It, it is taught very well in some schools, and perhaps citizenship is taught very well in some schools. Um, but civics, as in the institutions, the mechanisms, the way government and voting and taxation and all those kinds of things work, well, that does have a place in the curriculum. It's usually taught at the back end of stage three, and people sometimes pick up on it a little bit later in, in years nine and ten as well. Um, but citizenship, I think, is, is much richer, much deeper, it is about how we act as citizens in our society, how we learn to be citizens in society. Uh, and you can tell I, I draw from, you know, a very old-fashioned educator, John Dewey, um, who talked a lot about, you know, schools are the ways that we learn to be part of society uh, and we learn to be involved in community. You know, there's that kind of um, enculturation, I guess is a good term to, to, to describe it as. Um, about civics and about citizenship education, and I don't think we do it as well as we could, and that's that's kind of the the basis for my whole PhD. 
Yeah, and look, and I, I highly agree that um, that that education does form or, or does serve a greater purpose than just getting someone a job. Um, and, and it is to get them. It is to get people into society. It's for it's for them to be able to engage with a democratic society. And and this is something that I raised at um, one of the, the the New South Wales curriculum review sort of feedback days where one of the very first intro videos they showed us was how are we going to get students of today ready for work? Mm. And that sort of triggered something in my head. I thought, well, why, why do we need to get them ready for work? Why can't we just get them ready for society? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it seems we've shifted, we've shifted away from having people who can, uh, who can uh, be involved in society where, where it's basically – if you're not contributing to the economy, you're not worth anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think um, that uh, I was going to say perpetrates, but that's probably a bit strong for, for what I want to say. But I think I think that encourages a notion where we we see ourselves as individuals and and almost in competition. You know, oh, there's not enough jobs out there, so I have to get the very best education I can in order to challenge these other people, so I get the job. You know, and it's that dog-eat-dog world. And I think, oh, you know, do we really want that kind of neoliberal competitive aspect dominating our society? You know, do we live in an economy or do we live in a society? Now, of course, it's not that simple. Um, But I think education, and specifically I think it's the role of citizenship education, uh, to teach us to uh, challenge injustice, to question power, uh, and and perhaps, you know, to, to, to teach young people how to take action against what they perceive to be injustice. Um, and, and certainly there, there is a lot of discussion about that within um, parts of the curriculum. You look at the Australian curriculum and the New South Wales version of it, and it does talk about young people being involved in protests. I think Stage 5 History talks about the, the 60s and the 70s. I think there's, there's stuff about Jack Mundy and the Green Bands and the, the anti-Vietnam protests. But, and here's the thing that really... Um, drove a lot of my research. Um, I think most young people switch off at, at this kind of, um, even as exciting as it can be. And I say that as someone who was a history teacher for a long time. I, you know, I, I get excited about talking about history. Um, but but I think I think we need to move citizenship education into the realm of the practical rather than the theoretical. And, and more than that, I think um, the, the practical aspects of it have got to be directly related to what is relevant to today's society. So, Michael, let me give you an example, right? Um, the, these student strikes against climate. And I know some people might think that's silly. Young people should be in schools learning. Personally, I think they're, they're just engaging in their democratic right to withdraw their labour or their education, as the case may be. Um, and, and I think they should be fully supported. But that is an entirely different um, mechanism for, for protest. Um, well, it, it, it is a little it, it's different in some ways. Uh, it's certainly different in scale. Can you imagine someone like Greta Thunberg, um, you know, in the, in the 60s becoming a worldwide figure, you know, speaking at the UN General Assembly? I, I, I can't. And, and one of the things that has changed significantly because of this is the influence of social media and, and digital technology and the internet, of course. Um, but I don't think our, our current civics and citizenship education curriculum 
has recognised that change. You know, so for too much of what we actually encourage people to do is is quite old-fashioned and, dare I say it, ineffective. Um, you know, there, there, there is nothing wrong with volunteering. There is nothing wrong, um, you know, with, with petitioning and letter writing and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think it's enough in this day and age, in, in 2020, um, to, to only equip our students, our young people, our soon-to-be active citizens um, with those skills. I think they need videoing skills. I think they need critical thinking and critical literacy skills. I think they, they need to have the skills that will enable them to survive in a or survive and succeed uh, in combating inequality in a global and a globally complex environment. I mean, there's no point writing a petition to your local member of parliament about climate change because, well, you know, there, there is a point, sure, they'll, they'll, I'm sure they'll write a nice letter in response back, but climate change is a global problem and I think it needs a global solution. And, and you know, we need to teach young people how to, how to increase the scale of their reach uh, so that they can address global problems. We need to teach them how they can build links across national borders, not just within them. Um, and, and here's the counterintuitive thing, the thing that I think is really fascinating. The best way I think we can do that is by starting off in the local regions. You know, so it's, it's that old um, uh, think global, act local model. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's where the, the research project um, that I developed, which was called Justice Citizens, uh, came about. Do you, should, should I just run through that really quickly? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm sure the I'm sure the 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 uh, listeners be more than uh, more than happy to hear that. Yeah. Okay. So so I was fortunate enough to to talk my principal around to give me uh, an hour uh, a week with every class in year nine. I think we had six year nine classes in the first year and five in the the second year, uh, and it took the place of um, assembly and and this weird kind of library subject that was called research and literacy. And I said to to the principal, who was very supportive of the whole active citizenship agenda. She was she was a great principal. Um, shout out to Robin Meadows if you're listening. <laughs> um, but she she said, all right, you know, you've got to you've got to do some kind of research. You've got to focus a little bit on literacy skills. Um, but you know, you, you can you can have an hour a week for the first six months of the year um, with every year nine class. And it was on my timetable. Um, and and I, I said this a brilliant opportunity and I developed a program of study called Justice Citizens. And in many ways, I'd change it now, having gone through it a couple of times. Um, but equally, uh, I think it was pretty good because what we tried to do is we, we wanted young people to consider their local communities, their local environments, and, and think about ways that they might be able to uh, challenge some things that they thought were not just in those local environments and local communities. Um, you know, and I... I thought working in Western Sydney, I thought we, we, we were going to do some really, you know, impressive things. You know, we might challenge drug abuse or alcohol abuse or, or something like that. Uh, and I, I remember being really disappointed when the students came back and said, yeah, we want to talk about school bags because we see that as an injustice to us. We have to have the school school bag. We can't have our own personal school bag. And I was like, okay. And, and then they wanted to talk about bullying. And I was like, okay, but come on, you know, can't we think bigger than this? And I realised that was a bit of naivety on my behalf. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we, we, we started this whole conversation um, and, and what I discovered, 
as as we researched these topics, as we engaged experts to come and speak to us, um, was that often there was a sense of of some disconnection, you know. So the students knew that climate change, even even back then, this was like 2012, 2013, was was a significant issue, uh, and they were concerned about it. But there was also a feeling like I can't do anything, Keith. You know, Mr. Hackett, what do I do about this? You know, whereas bullying in my school, I might be able to do something about it. But they were also quite critical consumers of media, even at that age, you know. <laughs> so, so there are some incredible, I think they're incredible uh, videos about bullying. There's one that sticks in my head where, it, you know, you know that old saying, you know, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But it actually yeah, yeah. puts the words, you know, as as appearing as bruises on someone's skin to show that, well, yeah, words can yeah. actually hurt. And the students were like, oh, well, that's a wonderful film, but it means nothing. You know, it's not going to change yeah. a bully's behaviour. You know, if, if they were any older, I would have said the students were cynical, but they, they, they weren't. They were just critical consumers of media. Um, yeah. And I got people in from uh, Mamory Homestead. Sister Mary Louise came in and she spoke about the work that they were doing with uh, refugees and asylum seekers in Western Sydney, uh, which caused some really interesting discussions um, between the students. Um, and and then then I had people from environmental groups. There's a there's a group called the Nepean Waterkeepers. They came in and they talked about riverbank degradation caused by jet skis on the on the Nepean River and and you know the extinction of fish. Um, and then I flipped it to the students and I said, all right, you've heard about all of these things. Let's go out and make a film. You know, you want to make a film about bullying? Go and make it. And we we brought in journalists and filmmakers and we organised. Um, you know, sessions for them to, and, and the equipment for them to go and, and talk about it. I, I remember one brilliant time we were um, down at, um, uh, where was it, Kingswood TAFE in the library uh, interviewing a young refugee man talking about his, his experiences and the change, the growth, and I would call it growth, that the students went through from, you know, when they first started investigating refugees in Western Sydney so after they'd sat down for an hour and spoken to this incredibly intelligent uh, young man about his life and his experiences was was stunning. You know, I mean, you know, we, we talk about light bulb mo- moments as teachers, you know, when the light bulb goes off and they see something and they understand something. I mean, this this wasn't a light bulb. This was a floodlight going off. Uh, and then they, they also did interviews um, with, with things like um, young young women who were pregnant and had dropped out of school um, because they were pregnant and what they were going to do and, and, and not, not with any sense of, of trying to be um, preachy or, you know, hold the moral high ground on it, but more, you know, here's, here's your chance to tell your side of the story. So it's a really kind of fly-on-the-wall reality TV documentaries and, and some of them were incredibly powerful. Another student made a, a film that only went for about two and a half minutes about domestic violence. Uh, and then there were barely any words spoken in this film. There was just a, a boy uh, sitting in his room, upset, uh, writing in his diary. Um, and that was an incredible film. Uh, and then the best part of the whole whole um, project was that we, we published uh, these films on YouTube and we encouraged people to watch them and share them. Uh, some of the students, you know, set up their own YouTube channels for the sole purpose of doing that. Um, but we also held a, a film festival uh, in Kingswood in Western Sydney um, and we invited uh, the mayor and, and local members of parliament 
Uh, I think I think David Bradbury was the local member of Parliament at the time, and he recorded a video introduction talking about it. Uh, representatives from Catholic Education of uh, Parramatta came and, and watched the films. Uh, but the best part was that the people who'd been in the film, so these young mums and these, um, you know, all these other the groups, the Nepean Waterkeepers were in the films. Um, and, and they got to watch themselves on, on the big screen. And, and you know, there, there were some, some really nice moments where they, they were quite pleased with how, you know, they'd, they'd had their chance to have their say. And I guess... Yeah, like, and, yeah sorry, you go. No, 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 keep on. I was just, you know, to me, that is so much more active citizenship. Um, you know, it's, it's local, it's practical, it's community-based, it's student-led not even student-centred, but student-led. Um, you know, and I think in many ways it's advocating for, for systemic change in the way that we, we address problems in our community, far more than, you know, that, that multiple-choice quiz on Australian history, geography, civics and citizenship, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's what I was going, going to get to. I mean, you, you've, you've mentioned this great project. You've mentioned um, all the ways that, um, I guess, you know, citizenship education um, helps students and should be helping students um, and it does need that systematic change. However, how do we overcome the barriers to be able to create this change in the first place? Is it a political thing? Is it an economic thing? Is it, um, or is it just a local thing where teachers don't, just don't have the time or the resources to be able to do it? What, what oh. are the barriers and how can we break them down to in order to bring that change that we need? Yeah. Uh, it, it's all of those things and, and probably a few more that we haven't even thought of. Um, you know, I, I think something that I found really fascinating is that many politicians from from all different stripes that I talk to about this kind of thing, um, they're, they're not particularly interested in this approach to citizenship education. They're far more interested in young people understanding how parliament works. And, and I can see their point. I mean, you know, that, that, that's a little bit of investment in their own future. Um, but I haven't ever met a, a year five or a year nine student who, who has more than a passing interest in how parliament works. You know, kids respond to the personalities and to the headlines. Um, but, you know, when we get down to the nitty gritty of uh, a referendum or a double dissolution, you know, I, you know I, I don't think they really enjoy that side of things. That needs to come later, you know. So, so first, let's get people involved in local communities. Let's think uh, local or act local, then think more globally, more nationally. So, I, I think politicians need to consider, um, you know, their own position and 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 reconsider that. And I think they'll be forced to if if you know the anger that we are seeing about political inaction about climate change continues to to grow and and. You know, I hope it does because I think something needs to be done. The other, the other crucial aspect of it, and this is something that's equally close to my heart, and I know it is to yours as well, Marco, is teachers need to be trusted more. Um, you know, we need to be treated like the profession that we are, like the highly educated and capable professionals uh, that we are, and there needs to be more opportunities given to us to engage in uh, th these kind of activities. Um, you know, I, I think there's some good things in the, the current New South Wales Curriculum Review, which is talking about um, thinning out some of the material. And I, and I think Jeff Masters, when he wrote that, was very careful not to talk about a back-to-basics approach, even though that's what some politicians and some other 
pundits took out of it. I don't think it is a, a back to basics approach. I think it is a lesson, lessening of content rather than a, a back to basics approach. Because this, you know, this is not literacy and numeracy. This this relies heavily on literacy and numeracy. Relies heavily on ICT skills. Um, but but this this is central to what it means to to be educated and to be a member of society. Um, you know, so this is the basics, I guess, if you want to call it like that. Um, but the other things is, is you know, there, there needs to be, I think, more critical practice in schools, less, um, you know, tokenistic flag-waving efforts. I mean, I remember in 2007 when we all had to put um, the Simpsons donkey poster up in schools. You still see them around every now and then. So this, this came around after um, the first great wave of civics and citizenship education in Australia, which was called Discovering Democracy, and that ran for about 10 years, 1997 to 2007, roughly. Um, and then after that, they brought in values education, and people just used to call it the, the Simpsons donkeys education because you had to put up this, this poster of Simpsons donkey and have a flagpole in your classroom, um, not in your classroom, in your school grounds, in order to get a certain amount of money from the government. So everybody suddenly did that. And and I think you know we we, we can be a little more critical about uh, what it means to be Australian than than you know a photo of or uh, you know a poster documenting some some values that we probably all agree with anyway, um, you know and and I think that that's a part of it as well. Um, but I guess I guess my hope is that there is a desire for more of this. Certainly, if we go back twenty five years to the you know, the, the days of the active citizenship um, reports, which I think were actually 89 and 91, um, there was an emphasis on active citizenship. Um, and certainly during Keating's time, he, he was very much in favour of, of active education, of civics and citizenship education. When the Howard government came in, they wound it back to a much more, um, the history of, civics and citizenship and democracy in Australia rather than current present day active citizenship but I, I I'm you know I think I think you have to be optimistic in education education is a investment in the future <laughs> so you you're automatically kind of an optimist about these kinds of things I think young people and their parents will demand this kind of education in the future um you know we're already seeing that you know with the school yeah. climate strikes well exactly and and obviously if um, don't want to get you know really pessimistic and really sort of gloomy, but without preparing them for that future to be critical uh, citizens, then there is no future. That's it. Exactly. You know, yeah. you can't take your money with you when you're gone. You can't, you know, take your stuff with you when you when you go to wherever it is that you believe you go to when this you know this science project winds up. But what are you doing now to 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 keep it going for as long as you can? Yeah. And 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 where is the, you know, they they often call about it, talk about it in terms of social capital, you know, that investment in community and and trust, even from people you don't know, uh, and and a lot of people have said that social capital is declining. Um, I think uh, I think um, there was a very famous book called Bowling Alone, uh, which looked at social capital in the U.S. and declines in membership organisations, how less and less people are joining political parties or trade unions or bowling leagues or community groups, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and the author, um, Robert Putnam, um, suggested that uh, there's a decline in social capital and, and that means a decline in trust and 
that will mean a breakdown in society. I don't think he went that far, but, you know, the, that, that was the, the general thrust of his argument. Um, but I think that ignores the opportunities um, that are available through online communities. Um, and, and also it creates this kind of artificial division that, that uh, you know, there are either online or offline communities. The reality is that there is a, a wonderful blend um, between them and, and sometimes I think online participation will lead to offline participation. Not always, um, but, but the, you know, I, th- I think any kind of engagement in community is a good thing uh, and we should recognise it, not just look at membership numbers of political parties or trade unions, for example. Yeah, exactly. And although, um, you know, the, the more membership of tr- trade unions, the, the better, I guess. Um, oh, we're not going to get... I can't agree with that. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to make this... Listen, you're uh, a teacher, join your union. <laughs> exactly. If you're an educator... The regardless of which system you're in, Catholic or or uh, public, join your uh, join your relevant union. Um, <laughs> let's not make this episode that uh, we'll, we'll we'll do another one some other time on uh, the values of um, of unionism. Well, it actually lends in. I was actually going to bring that up anyway because it lends in well to what you just said about um, you know the, the the diminishing of social capital in terms of well, it's like the old you know the old union sort of adage of uh, you know the the divided you are you fall united you stand and and the more you can drive people away from each other the easier it is to keep the systems we have at the moment which is why i guess citizenship education is so important because it tries to find that like you said that community that that cohesiveness that people need in order to be able to actually think about and then enact change Mm. i'm nodding my head furiously here i know you can't see that but i am and and i think there is opportunity for collective groups, including unions, uh, but also risk um, because, you know, I, I, I was watching the Chicago teachers' unions and even the Oklahoma teachers' unions more recently, um, you know, so, so there were people there who, who were so frustrated um, with the, the fa- what they felt were the failure of their union to, to protect their rights. And to be honest, considering that, that most American teachers need to have two jobs just to make a living wage. I, I can kind of see their, their, I can understand their anger and their frustration. The, these teachers who, you know, organised their own groups and said, you know what, we can use technological tools, we can use Facebook and we can use mailing lists and we can use Twitter and we will organise ourselves. We don't need an organisation, um, you know, to tell us what to do. Um, and that's a real risk you know, for a union. I, I personally see it as an opportunity as well because suddenly you can go from having, you know, one person in every workplace who's an activist to every person in every workplace is an activist. And you want to talk democratically organised, um, you know, collective groups? Well, what better way to do it than through these tools? Um, but union leadership needs to be ahead of that. Um, yeah, and, and not all of them are, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. And look, we're we're quite fortunate that um, in New South Wales, the or you know the the the, the teaching unions here, both the, the state and and independent sector ones, both all well, to me, I think they do an amazing job. Um, particularly the uh, particularly the the independent education union. Uh, obviously, the the one that I'm a member of and a proud member of. You did an amazing job with as well during your your time there. And, Shout out, uh, my and- colleagues still there. I hope you are all doing well. Yeah, and, and look, and what you mentioned before as well, in terms of you know moving things from online to offline, that's that's how I got involved, and that's how I'm becoming an active citizen. You started with you putting a, a you know out of the, out of nowhere, 
putting a shout out to me on Twitter saying, hey, can we have a chat about something that I think we might be interested in to maybe become involved in, in you know, in more in the real world sense rather than just online. And, and I wouldn't have known to do that unless you had, you know, engaged with social media, you'd built a profile, you, you have an incredible profile, especially on Twitter that I, I know, um, you know, and, and, you know, that, that, that was what, you know, led me to think, you know, well, maybe we can leverage you know your your expertise, and 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 maybe um you know get something of benefit to members, and and you know yeah, so it is active citizenship, you know. Um, but do you think you were prepared to be that kind of active citizen? And you know, think about the work that you were doing there, Marco, as an example. You know, you were sharing advice with community members, with fellow educators, fellow teachers. You were sharing resources. Um, your YouTube videos are watched far and wide not just by your students, but by students from, you know, competing schools, if we want to put them in as competitors. I don't agree with that, but, yeah. Um, and you did it all pretty much free of charge out of your own goodwill. You know, if, if you want an exercise in social trust um, or social capital building, there it is. And we need to teach people how to do that. Yeah, exactly. We do need to teach people how to do that. But then, and again, we, we I don't want to sort of, go too long into this uh into this we might make a whole other episode on this later on down the track but then you've also got to find that balance between being an active citizen and building that social capital and doing things that are your own kindness of your own heart and your own well-being as well in the process where you don't sort of spread yourself too thin so where's that balance as well yeah yeah it needs to be self-care um and and you know, I, I, I love a bit of Twitter. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a bit of a lurker. I'm trying to, this, this year, one of the things I'm trying to do is is um, engage a little bit more on Twitter, um, you know, in, in, in a constructive fashion rather than just rubbish posting. Um, but I think, you know, there is so much, and, and, and I guess this is where the, the critical part of what I would call justice pedagogy or, or complex citizenship education comes in. You know, there needs to be a, a point at which we, we can, you know, I don't say I'm not going to engage there because it's not in my best interest. Or, you know, you, you need to be able to call out, no, that's that's just spreading misinformation or, or that individual's, you know, not a good faith actor online. Um, and, and face-to-face, that used to be so much easier. Um, but because it's so easy to create a fake Twitter profile and to post rubbish and lies, um, you know, everyone everyone does it now. Well, not everyone, but people find it much easier and, and they, they don't have that cost barrier to overcome, so they, they go right ahead and do it. And yeah, exactly, yeah. managing people's responses to that can be incredibly difficult. I, I you know, I look at politicians, politicians of all stripes, uh, and some of them try to engage in, in a constructive fashion, and I, I think that's good. Uh, but, gee, I, I don't know if it's worth their time or effort <laughs> considering the... The abuse they get, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, look, um, well, look, um, wrapping up. Any final, any final words you want to leave the listeners with um, to sort of sum up citizenship education? Well, I'll, I'll do an ad first. Uh, if you if you look for my YouTube profile, you'll be able to find all the Justice Citizen videos. Um, and if you're a, an iBook user um, on on the iPad, I've actually uploaded the the manual, the program of study. Um, so search for Justice Citizens and you'll be able to download it and access the resources if you're interested in doing it. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, I am, I'm on Twitter. 
more than I, I was last year. That's the plan. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I love to talk about this kind of stuff um, and, and look me up and, and I look forward to hearing from you. Dr. Keith Higgett, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Marco. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au